Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Hello, folks. It is the... In- what, 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 what podcast is this? What it's podcast va- is it? It's, va- already. it's value, value after, after hours. hours. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. I think it's 6.30 p.m. UTC. It's 6.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Australian maybe daylight savings time. I'm joined For as always. For Australian listeners. <laughs> 8% of the listeners are from Australia. I don't know how many of them catch it live, but uh, joined as always by my co-hosts, Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. What's happening, fellas? Not much. Well, Bill said it was going to be lit, so let's let's get it, it lit. It is going to be lit. I think we're probably going to disagree a lot. We may go more macro than we normally do, but whatever. There's we got a- rates, bro. Jake, what are you going to talk about today? Uh, I'm I'm going to go into uh, hit the highlights of Chris Bloomstrand's Semper Augustus letter. Nice. Something good to talk about. There we go. Toby, what about you? Uh, there's a lot going on in the market at the moment. There's a little uh, baby sell-off just sort of starting, just touching tech. I just thought I might talk a little bit about uh, Tesla, Arc, Tech, and uh, Janus 1.0, uh, just as... Just, just to see what Ark's going to do this time around. I'm just interested to know. There's some suggestion that they're a little bit illiquid in some of these names, so we'll see. Do you what do you want? To tell me that this much money flowing into one entity could cause an issue down the road. I mean, it's... is that is that what you is is that what you dare suggest, sir? I, I, uh, I think the road might be. It might be a little bit closer than it's possibly a little bit closer than we think. It's fair. I'm going to rant, and I'm going to start it right now after this. <laughs> so, folks, here's the thing. I complimented Preston Pish, okay? Who's Preston? He's, see, the, he's, one, of the, he's he one of the founders and co-hosts of the Investors Podcast, massive podcast. He's been a value guy and kind of a, a bearish macro guy. We, we, Preston and I see the world pretty similarly, uh, but he's more recently he's become a Bitcoin maximalist. To the chagrin of some of the people who follow the podcast, but it's probably garnered him a lot of followers too. Just so everybody knows who he is. Good dude. I know him well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to sort of go there a different route, but yes. No, it's okay. I appreciate you setting it up. Sometimes my mind is very vague and people are lost when I speak. Um, So anyway, if you just take a step back and think about what that guy did, he was on like arguably the biggest financial podcast at the time. He got an idea in his head through thorough research that he wants to bet on, okay? He put his reputation on the line to bet on something that his heroes have referred to as rat poison. (laughs) And he fucking crushed the call. And people are mad that, like, I gave him props. That is really hard to be public. He's not a hedge fund manager. He was a guy who was on a podcast that's running I Perceive His Own Money. I may be wrong on that, but, like... It's not like he's Dan Loeb out there making public calls at Sone, and he crushed the call. So if you're mad at that, 
You need to look in the mirror and figure out what you're mad at and tip your hat to a guy that has some balls and has some success. Now, secondly, if you are someone that's listening to podcasts such as ours or theirs for any type of learning purposes and you have found yourself in some huge winner, such as Bitcoin, I would just encourage you to be really honest with yourself about how much you know and understand that right now some of the sharpest money in the trading world is trading Bitcoin against you. And I don't know if it's the right thing to own or not. I haven't done the work to have a strong opinion. I will tell you that I am far, far further away from this is hocus pocus than I ever was. Part of me thinks an idea has, uh, like I think that it, it has merit as an idea so long as it has merit as an idea, if that makes any sense. It's a bit circular. But the more it continues, the more I sort of buy that. I mean, Bill Miller has articulated that thought in the past. I'm not the only person that's thought it. So I sort of get it. I just think if you're up this much, there's uh, the way I put it last night is I said, classic cars are ripping, baseball cards are ripping, Bitcoin's ripping harder. Are you right or are you trading like some super juice trading vehicle? And I don't know. I could be wrong. I would just hope that, um, you know, if you're up big, risk mitigation and risk management matters at some point and uh, consider your own personal sort of equation and maybe it's time to take something off the table. But if you're mad at Preston or me for complimenting Preston, you really should take a, a real long think about why. Because that's not about us. That's about whatever you see in the mirror. Why do you Next. say that the smartest folks in the room are, are trading against Bitcoin at the moment? Oh, well, I don't think they're trading against. I think they're trading it. Just trading. I mean, like, okay. like, yeah, like some of those guys are real. Those guys are sharp. I mean, as far as traders. Now, I don't know what their returns are. I don't think traders in general have the greatest returns. I happen to not understand macro in the way that I think I would need to to trade that vehicle very well. But I think any time you get that kind of volatility in a vehicle, you're going to get really good traders enter the picture because it's just too enticing not to trade it, I would think. Do you, need Do you to... agree? I'm not a trader. I don't know. I have no idea. That kind of volatility well, scares me, honestly. for moves, right? Yeah. I think this is it, – it, it lays out one of the real problems with a uh, – any asset that you can't fix some kind of fundamental to very easily. And it's one, if it goes down, how do you know you're still, if you're getting an even better deal, there's no anchor for you. And then two, if it goes crazy high, how do you know when it's gone too far? Like what would be the price? Then I would ask everyone who owns Bitcoin, is there a price at what you would sell? And have you determined what that is? And did you determine that before you bought it? Because that's really probably the best practice. Like you don't wait until you're up 5X and you're drunk with return uh, and thinking that you're a god. It gets really tough then to decide what the right time to punch out is, right? Because you're hot. You got to keep pressing your bet. Well, let, um, let me let me flip that around on you a little bit. If you, let's, say you're in, let's say you're in Berkshire. When you buy Berkshire, are you thinking, here's the price at which I'm going to sell it? Or are you thinking I'm going to hold sell. this for? I'm I'm grateful that I've got this opportunity to purchase it at a discount. My plan is to hold it until the day I die. No, there's a price at which I would sell Berkshire. 
It was a price I would sell anything. Oh, speaking of which, real quick, shout out to Charlie. Thanks for tuning in, man. Sorry we don't <laughs> shout you out enough. Yeah. All right, so yeah, there's a price at which you'd sell it. Fair enough. That's very disciplined of you, JT. I've identified the reason why we've both underperformed for the last 50 years. Yeah, I reached too many of those disciplined price targets over the last five years and then couldn't find enough to replace that made sense where I thought I was getting offered good odds. I, I've been thinking like there's a, there is a, there are some things that you could potentially never sell right now. I would almost put Berkshire's probably almost a never sell in there because the, the idea of the never sell is that something that it does keep on compounding, And so you can have a long period of time where it's dead money, but you don't catch the uh, tax trading in and out of it. And there's no guarantee that if you, you eat the tax that you're going to get an opportunity to get back in at some reasonable valuation down the road. If you, you know, if you think it's a, such an outstanding business, sometimes you only get one or two bites at the cherry, like maybe in a decade. And so you buy them and then you hold them and then you just know sometimes, you know, you're going to make mistakes and sometimes you're going to get lucky and it's going to keep on going. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I would, I'm kind of I mean, thinking out loud here. There's always something to... I think there's always something that's going to be mispriced, though, where you're going to have a better risk reward profile and you can trade up to it if the price has gotten too crazy on whatever you own. So I don't know. Like, I, I like to keep that edge on if I can without obviously incurring crazy tax consequences. But I, I don't think it's the it's it's really easy to be dead money for a really long time if the price gets too far ahead of itself and that's like one of the only true things that you can say about markets this is that the higher the price you pay the lower you should expect your return to be that's fair but is there a difference between buying and holding like if you're if you buying is a is a different decision to holding but i know that there's some people who view holding as sort of every day you wake up and you got to rebuy the whole portfolio at this price would you do it or you can tip it all out and start again I, I'm just sort of thinking out loud. I don't have the answer to this. I'm just, I, I don't think that holding and buying are the same thing. You buy at a big discount, you hold at, you know, a very broad range that's not egregiously overvalued. I mean, if you were, if you were Buffett, do you sell Coke and whatever, whatever it topped out at sort of 1998 or 2000 or whatever, like, do, do you punch out there? I do think he would have if he wasn't in Berkshire. Like in a, in a personal vehicle, I think he probably would have. But that was egregious. Like, that's, I guess that uh, it, it would require a price. I mean, Berkshire is sort of so big that it can't really, like, grow into a massive overvaluation quite as easily as some of these smaller things that are growing sort of in the hypergrowth space. Uh, so I would I mean, be more inclined. Ever was like three times price to book is the most it's ever traded at. So it's never been crazy egregious. I got a question here. I kind of like it. It's worth throwing it to you guys. What do you think about selling half of the position once it's gone up 100% and then, you know, actually never selling? So you get your cost base back out and then you're just free rolling what you've got left in there. Yeah, the, the free roll argument. Um, I understand kind of the appeal of it. I find that to be a little bit... Uh, under, I want to say under optimized, but under disciplined. Um, and I, I think each dollar should be treated with the respect it deserves and not necessarily like, oh, well, this one is compartmentalized into my free roll bucket. 
I don't know. I kind of like it. You would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've sort of done it on Curate. Uh, sure. I took a lot of my cost basis off, and I think that the bet is a lot different here, and I think that they could execute it, and they also could not, and I don't really need to have it be a 15% position because I need to prove something to myself, so it's lower than that, and it's still meaningful if they execute. I'll uh, you know, continue to, to earn a, a good amount of money, but I mean, I ask my wife how much can I lose before you'll resent me I'm not trying to like keep that on I mean I've already sort of like if if I could have lost that much making that much w- delivered upside so like I, I don't know there's a part of me that just isn't trying to be greedy well, let me ask you this then the free roll implies that you wouldn't sell it at any price really right no. because you're well that's what I, I when I hear people say I'm on a free roll that means they don't they're not planning on selling that at all. They got their cost basis out, and now oh, that I'll can sell go. that thing in a second. <laughs> I'm just not selling okay. it here. I think I think it's pretty fair, but I think that there's a number of iterations of the world where it looks like I, I'm not. It's not screamingly cheap to me here. I think it, there's a version of the world where it could be, you know, quite a bit higher. I think there's a version of the world where it could be twenty to thirty percent lower. I'm not going to have it be like this massive position in my portfolio, but I don't need to take it all off. How about the fact that Buffett's been getting, you know, he gets he gets dividends now. This may not be exactly right, but I thought I saw something like he gets half his cost basis back in dividends every year now. Out of Coke. I, I, Coke. Dude, my grandma 31xed her investment on Coke. She, and that's she not must even be the, the best rich. thing in her. She must get her. What? She must get her principal out in dividends every year i don't know what the yield is. yeah i mean it's crazy and that's not even the most crazy thing she did so um like i there's an argument to be made for never sell i'd love to go back and look at what she when she bought and whether or not she outperformed but at the end of the day if you're like running a personal finance strategy i think it's hard to argue she failed even if she underperformed like i think some stuff is just what can you execute and if you can get yourself to retirement, who cares if it's under-optimized? Like, I don't know. Tom Brady lives a much more optimal life than I do. I'm not living Tom Brady's life. I'm living my own. So some of, some of my stuff has to be... You're eating too like many nightshades. What? You're eating too many nightshades. What to- about nightshades? Tomatoes. You're not allowed to eat them. Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Oh. What the hell are they called? Nightshades. I don't know. <laughs> but I, that's why I'm not playing Massive in a Super Bowl. Point. This makes no sense. He's a, he's a very handsome man for like 55 or however old he is. He's, he's in great shape. And he's still he winning Super Bowls. Phenomenal. Yes, it's true. Be the first uh, quarterback on a double ARP card. It's amazing. And that's because he doesn't need tomatoes. Just that's all, that's all it comes down that's to. It. That's oh, the yeah. TB12 diet. That's really all. He, that's the only ah, difference between him and me? He's, no. yeah, it's yeah, that's, just that's, the tomato that's ingestion? That's all. That's all. Where's your, where's your wife from? I wish that somebody had told me that. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, that caprese salad's been killing me. It's all that salsa. It's all Is that spicy like... salsa you're eating. Huh. Huh. I was doing other things to me, but I didn't realize it was preventing me from being Tom Brady. Let's let's just talk about let's get back to, to the Bitcoin a little bit. So there's a lot of, there's there have been a series of these little um little bubbles, little boomlets. We've had one in we had GameStop. Since GameStop, there's been one of the marijuana companies that's all come off. 
since then, it uh, looks like it's run into Bitcoin. And, uh, and that looks like it's coming off a little bit, you know, it's, it's back to where it was like two weeks ago. So it's not, I don't think anybody's complaining too much. I mean, I don't literally know where it is, but it's, it's ramped a lot and then it's come back a little bit. So I'm not saying it's crashing or anything, but there's, there does seem to have been quite a few of these. At, at what point do any of these sort of become dangerous to the rest of the market? Is there any sort of, what's driving them and, and is, is it dangerous to the rest of the market? Jake? I think they're hugely dangerous because if they question the faith of of all of these apparatus that we are dependent upon to have prices up where they are now, uh, you know, this is that's the landslide. Like you don't know which little tremor it's going to be that that tips it over, but just you just know that there's a lot of pressure built up at the plates, and who knows when what's the and I mean I think markets tend to top. And there's no no one tells you, right? Like it's just some random Tuesday that it topped. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, well, we're not going to be back here for like a decade, right? Well, I mean, what I've seen is that markets top and then then they go sideways for a year and you don't even know that they've topped. And I've said to a few people that the top was in, the last top was in 2007, was like June, but then the crash didn't happen until Q4 2008. So it was the crash was more than a year later and you just didn't know that you're in the drawdown until it finally showed up you know that's not this market it's the the all-time high was like two weeks ago i think so we're a long way from like having some sort of some sort of crash but that's not there's no guarantee like 1987 was a big crash but then the year ended up so 1987 was much more like march last year the real bear markets are the things where you know it's like the 18th rally that gets sold 18 months after the top or the you know the the big sell off that's that's it's hard to it's hard to keep on going at the you know when you Q4 2008 Q1 2009 another sell off after like having a big sell off in two, in the late 2008 that's the thing that really breaks your heart when like you just every time you buy something it it gets sold off you never get it feels like it'll never end so March 2020 last year was not that that was sort of like a was violent it sucked while it was happening, but it was over quickly, even though it felt like it lasted for about a year. I mean, it, does it make sense if I said the total market cap is like $50 trillion, $51 trillion in the U.S. stock market? Total market cap of all stocks, I think, is in the 30, $39 trillion range. Okay, yeah. I mean, I have I just put it into the Google machine, but I guess it said like 12 31 20 was $51 trillion. So, I mean... I don't know. If Bitcoin's a trillion, it's like 2% of what matters. Like, I, here's a hot take. GameStop doesn't matter. Who gives a shit about GameStop? It's some crappy little retailer that was overshorted and had a short squeeze. Okay, great. Next. What about the uh, I mean, marijuana I companies? I, you know what? Heap high valuations on them. I don't, I think, I don't think that they're like directly... Gonna, they I don't think they're gonna, for the pawn. They're going to top the market. I just think that they're kind of, uh, yeah, high valuations. Better, better observe that. Very good. <laughs> I, th- I don't think they're going <laughs> to knock the market over. I just think they're kind of like, there's this, uh, there's this risk-seeking mentality in the market, and that's you don't really see that at the, at the bottom. You see that close to the end. Like there's a lot of retail participation in call options. Like that's off the, off the charts. We haven't seen anything like that. You know, as far back as I yeah, can get the man. chart to go. 
I mean, like, I guess what I'd say is uh, lots of people need yield, and, like, sometimes you just got to trade that. Ah, uh, who's calling? God. This is sort of your hour over here. This is this was my this was my segment that uh, just <laughs> Bill's gone to take a very important call. Yeah, <laughs> this was my my kind of uh, hello, mate. It's the homie Welcome Elliot back. Turner. He should be listening. He, wow, he, he, had, he had a very move. important point he needed to make. This this was my topic that <laughs> uh, he was he's like furiously typing in the notes and, and you're not seeing it, so he had to call through. That's fair. My topic is like I think that there's some risk because of the scale of Arc in the market and the size of Tesla. Um, I haven't talked about Tesla a lot because it's been running up a lot, but it, it's come off a little bit recently. There's nothing much. It's had lots of these little turndowns. I'm not I'm not calling the top or anything like that. This is a bigger deal than Bitcoin. So Tesla Tesla is a, an enormous company now, and I don't know anybody like anybody outside of financial markets who doesn't own it everybody who i talk to has a gigantic slab of it and i know people who've sold um you know like half million dollar retirement accounts to go all in on bitcoin uh, sorry all in on tesla and it's up and they've doubled it so they slip yeah they've doubled it over the last like 12 months or something like that so they're ecstatic i just wonder if there's some risk if sort of if tesla cracks that's a lot of people who may panic and may come out and arc has a big concentration in that and so arc gets stung a little bit and then one of the problems with arc is that they have a lot of they're a very big holder in very illiquid names and there's some there's some tweets around today by edwin dorsey who's stock jabber he does some great sort of short focused work and he's written an article on on arc and so he's just identified how big um Arc is in a lot of these names, and they're sort of like they're twenty percent plus in a lot of these names, and that that hasn't been a problem while the money's been rolling in, which it has been. Like they they absorb the most of the most of the money, but when it reverses, um, what happens? May I speak? Please do. I was raising my hand. Uh, just out of curiosity, and I don't know them. I don't know you, Kathy. I'm sorry about what I'm about to say, but if you ran a strategy that had a bunch of illiquid holdings, would you post your positions daily? The trades, yeah. I mean, an ETF has to, right? But the, you don't Do have they? to post that's the trades. What's going on? Okay. You don't have to post, post don't the trades. Like the, she posts the trades. Like that's a lot of people um, follow along. Yeah, because I see people saying that, like, this is what they bought today. And it's kind of like, man, this has got a lot of reflexivity to it here. Yes. And if it's thinly traded, ooh, that that stuff makes me more nervous than, like, what's going on in GameStop. They're not the most concentrated in Tesla. There are a couple of ETFs. There are three or four ETFs that have a bigger concentration in Tesla. They're, they're at, like, 10% in Tesla. So it's not necessarily fatal to them what tesla does but there seems to be a lot of sort of peripheral stuff that they do hold it's that's down quite is that a that s p 500 etf i've heard so much about <laughs> yes yeah, that Spy's one's got a chunk of concentrated how, in how much how much I don't, I don't know what the weighting is i probably should have looked it up the weighting of tesla and the spy what's the what's the does the crowd does the crowd have a view on that what's the weighting of tesla and spy can't be too big yeah, I don't That's know. But th this story makes me much more nervous than like, I don't know, even the retail participation to be. I, and I do sort of think that they're a little bit tied together because I do think retail is maybe following her right now. 
Um, but like this, I think could be a real deal. Because I think if it's a it, lot of flows, I almost tweeted this up, but I just I already get enough hate mail on Twitter, so I, I I didn't do it. But I thought if Tesla cracks, probably Arc cracks. If Arc cracks, probably software and tech go. And if that happens, then the whole market goes. And that's that's sort of I don't know if that's going to happen or not. That sounds like a macro thesis where you get four things in series, and any one of them doesn't happen, yeah. it doesn't happen. But that's sort of what I think is probably going to happen to this market uh, eventually. And maybe happening now. I don't know. Well, the 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 tough thing about that is that I, I well, Chris Bloomstrand, which we'll get to eventually, walks through a nice little piece of math on Tesla. And this is the problem: is you're now kind of racing math, and that's usually not where you want to be, right? If if you're the bellwether for the whole market, and it's going to go where it where Tesla goes. You're you were trying to outrun gravity or physics or something, and that's I don't know. That it's it is questionable. To be fair, though, we would have said this how many times? Many. Yeah. We have already. Correct. We've, we've said it so many we times. have we basically have how much standing to say this? Not a Arguably lot. Arguably I mean, less than none. Yeah, that's not fair. not a lot. That said, it doesn't mean we're wrong. Here's the thing, though, right? As a as a value guy. You don't get to pick the turn in the market for the most part. You don't get to pick the turn on your stocks. You, you, all, all you, the, nobody knows when it turns. You just know that you're, you're getting a good value for what you're buying and you, you think that the market will figure it out eventually. So I, I, it's never really concerned me necessarily that like it hasn't happened yet because I sort of think that you know math, it, it acts like gravity. It does eventually catch up to you. It gets you. And if you... If the underlying is growing at some rapid rate and the the top you know the stock price gets away from it, that's okay because eventually the the underlying kind of catches up to you. You might have dead money for a long time, but you're not in any sort of great danger. But if you're a company that's continued that needs continued access to the markets, maybe Tesla doesn't anymore. So maybe it's not a good example because they seem to have. Oh like, yeah, it does. Well, their net cash. Um, we'll walk through some numbers. And okay. I think All right. They, that's that's need- a good segue then. Tesla right, appears to be one point six five percent of the S and P. Okay, it's not like a ton. If I told you like no. you needed to lose two percent of your body, you wouldn't be like, "Oh my god, that's so much." Can I pick the two percent? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it depends on what two percent. Uh, okay, so Chris goes through some math that I'll just try to walk through real quick that I find to be pretty compelling. So the current. Uh, revenue of Tesla is roughly 31 billion, and then they're at you know around sub one billion in profit. So they and this is on selling 500,000 cars in 2020, which is about a half of a percent of the market share of Global Auto. So now he asks us to imagine that they have a 20 percent market share of Global Auto, and that's like selling 20 million vehicles, which is more than Toyota and VW combined right now, who are the number one and two players on earth. He allows for a six and a half percent profit margin, which is a half a percent better than Toyota's industry best 6%. He assumes an average selling price of $50,000 per car, which is 20,000 more than the global average. Okay. So we're already, we're ramping up some pretty serious assumptions about like global, auto domination 
that would imply that Tesla would have $1 trillion in revenue and be earning $65 billion in profit on a 15 times PE that puts you at a one times price to sales, which is like a pretty reasonable, probably what autos would trade for. Uh, Tesla's currently doing 3% of that $1 trillion of revenue. So they need to 32X this entire operation to get to a $1 trillion sort of normal valuation. Uh, that's going to, I mean, 32X what you're doing now already, I think requires tremendous capital to get to that size. We have to have, there has to be factories all over the place to 32X what they're doing right now. Okay. I mean, I just find that to be, uh, if you're at 3% of what you sort of, the market is implying that you have to be, boy, a lot of things really have to go right for this to, to turn out. Are you, what credit are you giving them for Bitcoin, for the solar panels, Yo, autonomous. for roadsters, for the truck? There's a lot of credit in $1 trillion worth of revenue. <laughs> They're building the factory yeah, but... that builds the factories. It's machines building machines building machines. Oh, dreadnought. Well, no, for real. If you if you think that they have the software to be an automated uh, taxi service or whatever, then maybe you don't get there through all the auto sales, right? Maybe it's high margin software sales. Well, Ox said... and that's what that's what you must be betting on. You can't. No one is buying this stock thinking it's a car company right now. It's impossible. The, and if they are, they're crazy. Well, well, this in in Ark's presentation that Jake talked about uh, a few weeks ago, uh, he said that they were estimating the global TAM for the autos. For this is for ride share hailing. I think that was like six point five trillion. Five yeah. to six trillion. Five to six was, trillion. I think, if I remember right, and a trillion dollars of profit available in that pool. So I think that that's currently what we spend on cars uh, annually. I think that's what the, that's the global sales on cars is about five or six trillion. Are you going to spend? So what you spend? Right, on, sounds uh, high to me. It does sound high, doesn't it? I think someone sent me that, and I, maybe I've got that wrong. If what what do we spend on cars globally, uh, amigos? If that's hey, come on, man, first come on, people. Glad we do a lot of homework before we get here. <laughs> oh, you never know where the conversation's going to go. That's true. I've got the greatest minds on the planet tuning in. Why would you? That's true. Pre-search it. Because I, I, you know, it's, maybe it's possible. I don't want to really own a car. I'd much rather have my uh, my robot driver show up and take me where I want to go. And then it gives me like a, a fleet of different cars to choose from. Sometimes I just need a little one. Sometimes I want to haul some stuff from IKEA. That's appealing. Would it, so it looks like we sell yeah. what sixteen point seven million units a year. It looks like. So what's the ASP? Thirty thousand, I think, roughly. Two trillion. Harry Brown says two trillion. Harrison. There you Brown. go, Harry Brown. Shout out to you. You the MVP. Yeah, dog. He, he sent it through. Harrison. Thanks so much. He did send it through me. Two trillion. I I, uh, I forgot. So yeah. So we're gonna three x what we spend on cars. Except you're not gonna own it. You're just gonna uh, rent it. Rent it. Yeah. And it's gonna show up at your door. That sounds more expensive than to to get around. Yeah, you which probably is prefer not the saving whole point there, of right? that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, in aggregate, it's less, and then you got more variable cost in your life, I guess. I, I don't really see this world happening. <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> I mean, not... I see some of it happening. I think it makes sense in cities. Yeah, that's fair. 
yeah, network density, it's got to be a big part of it. Yeah. Should we move on to the rest of Chris's? Yeah, letter? yeah, yeah. So 115-ish pages. Um, I made the joke that if I think we can throw away the CFA program and then just have a test on this letter. And if depending on what your score is, that puts you at whatever level uh, your understanding of the letter. Reading, reading Chris's uh, letter. Reading Chris's letter, yeah. Uh, especially the Berkshire like adjustment part. Like talk about just a a facility with accounting versus reality and you know normalization like it's really it's really terrific work uh i'm 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 very i have mad respect for for chris's process um couple of interesting things like the beginning of it is sort of more macro based um which you know for for better or worse it's like catnip for me sometimes i just it's just so it, it just feels like at some point it has to matter right um but he one of the things he, he uh, shows is this chart that is, to me, what I, I would say looks like sort of the financialization of our economy and maybe even like I would call the, the lardification of our economy. But so he, if you look at uh, from 1981 to 2020, and I, I'm glad that he picked these dates because this is I was born in 1981. So this is like my <laughs> lifetime. Here's what we've done. Nominal GDP went from three trillion to 21 trillion. That's a 5.1% compound annual growth rate over 39 years. Was that global okay, or like was that US? Sorry, I just missed that. US. US. Yeah. Um, credit market debt went from 5 trillion to 82 trillion. That's 7.4% growth rate. Okay, so we've we grew sort of all the goods and services, but we grew the debt at a at a quite a bit faster clip. Market cap of all stocks went from 1 trillion to 39 trillion. So now that's a 9.9% growth rate. So the price that we're paying for ownership of all of these businesses that provide the goods and services that we want has gone up a lot at a much faster clip than the, the actual productive capacity has grown. And then Federal Reserve assets, which might explain some of this, uh, went from 200 billion to 7.4 trillion, and that's a 9.7% growth rate. So here we have, we've basically, pulled through a bunch of debt, a bunch of uh, Federal Reserve interaction to push up the price of everything. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, duh. But like when you see it over my lifetime, you, you can kind of see like this, this can't really be sustainable, right? Like you can't grow the GDP at such a low rate and keep growing the debt at a faster rate and not, I think, run into some problems eventually. Um, the only quibble I'd have with that, that is the starting date, 81, is the, you know, that was the bear market low for uh, for the stock market from like that. The, the, there's the, the cyclical peak was like 66. And that was for the last kind of, we had an electronics boom. Everything was tronics. There were lots of conglomerates. All that sort of stuff was going on. Then we went through this very protracted, uh, Vitaly Katzenelson would say it was a sideways market from 66 to 81 where yeah. we just worked off the valuation and, and through that there are a number of very nasty bear markets including the 73, 74 one 73 was a disaster especially if you look at, at real returns right. through that time period Well, it's, the, on it's a real rough. basis 73, 74 was worse than 29 because the uh, inflation ticked up so much that your purchasing power was more was hurt more badly than 
29. So 81 was the bottom of like a disastrous run. And I think Jim O'Shaughnessy's talked about, I think that's about when he, he may have started his career sort of around about that that era. And he said it was, people just used to laugh at him because he was going into stocks. Like everybody knew that where he wanted to be was commodities and different places like that. Stocks, stocks were a joke. And here we're sort of at the other end of that. It's 30 years. The best performed asset over that 30 years is the long bond. So if you, hmm. Lacey Hunt and Hoisington have uh, have crushed it through that whole period, just being long the long bond, you didn't need to do anything else. You could have just done that. Doing stock picking has given you some sort of like proxy to the long bond. And so stocks have done really well, but stocks have gone from being egregiously undervalued to being egregiously overvalued. Uh, what comes next? While rates went totally down. Really valued dog. Profit margins are way higher than they were in 81. Right, right. like all of the But inputs- the businesses are better. You don't have shit codes all over the place. You got software companies. Like, that's real. Like, those are worth more than some metal bender that another one can just enter the picture. Here's my they question. Just are. What, what drives What drives valuation? Is it uh, how good the company is or is it uh, competition? Like, is it is it return on equity by itself or is, or is that a function of what competition kind of allows you to earn? So, yeah, back in, the, back in 1981, there were a lot more... It was a heavy industry. There were a lot more assets to generate those returns, but it was also at the bottom of a of a really long bear market where there just wasn't a lot of capital around. Here we are. There's a lot of consumer capital around. There's a lot of money for spending on consumer goods and services and lots of other things like that. So that flatters the uh, the profit margins a little bit. And so we say, well, all of these got high returns on equity. Of course, they'd be worth more, but are we kind of double counting? Shouldn't competition compete away those high margins? Don't you just, you know, if you if your margins, well, if you're making all margin, just cut it in half and like you're still making a whole lot of margin. Yeah, but one is like you can't just compete with Google, right? Because no one is going to go to Bing even if Bing exists. So like that's real. I do, I do think that it's objectively true that there are at least parts in tech that trend towards one winner. I mean, I, I think that that's like pretty settled today. Can that change? Sure, that can change, I guess, over time. Would you have said but Microsoft's like, operating system was dominant in you know, 2000? I don't know. I was, I was like a little nerd that was trying to get laid in 2000. <laughs> I was. I was a freshman in college. Actually, I guess I wasn't really trying to get laid because I was in a fairly committed you, well you, i was in a committed relationship you, you can, but you can read after stuff that, that pre-exists ended, your then I life get on the prowl you can read about things that happened prior to your own existence i feel like you can go back and, and read yeah, that I don't, stuff i mean i don't know i don't have a sense of like whether or not microsoft's operating system was clearly dominant it was 20 the dominant. years ago it was the dominant i, I do know that, that was that was when they were trying to split it up Right. That, that's that, that yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had bundled. I mean, look, my whole life I've used Microsoft. I'm not going off Microsoft. I have Excel open right now. Like, good luck. Enter, like, enter the market and give me a spreadsheet competitor. Well, we'll see how how far it goes. Google has one. Google's working on one. I mean, it's yeah. I use it for a lot of things. It's it's more useful for some things. It's not it's not as good as Excel. It's not as powerful, but it's more useful for some things because it's online. Yeah, well, when you go to a bank and you got to re- or circulate stuff all through the bank, you're not circulating a Google Doc. That's fair. Let me ask you, is the, the rate of technological change faster in 1981 or 2020? Uh, it probably always feels fast. Yeah, that's what I think. I think it's always accelerating. I think it's always faster than it was. 
and until we hit the singularity. Okay. So if that is the case, if you think if we if we will posit that 2020 has a faster rate of change, wouldn't you then capitalize the earnings of a of a company in a rapidly changing industry at a lower rate because of the risk of change that would disrupt its business model? Well, that was the argument you... against TechRot. It always used to trade at a discount because it could be it could be uh, disrupted. It could be you weren't necessarily going to earn that earning stream into the future. You couldn't foresee where it was going to go. That's why Buffett avoided it. Tech as a monolith. He was like, pretty wrong. Like, I think we can clearly point out that Buffett was wrong on tech. That actually happened. It's something changed, right? Something changed. Which timeline? It became, he's done it right. I, yeah, what, gonna... what timeline do you want to argue? I mean, you can be a perma bear and be right once in your entire life. But like at the end of the day, the guy was wrong. Look at how the businesses have performed. And he said so. I think he said that about Google too, right? That he, of course he, he did. Saw the You'd clicks have to be an idiot through. not to think he was wrong on tech. But I'm just saying that there was a transition from the point is that there was a transition from where the, the earnings streams weren't guaranteed because, like, this, the I think that the hard drive manufacturers were the example where they just kept on getting, you know, you had some great tech and you'd made a lot of money for a little while and somebody came along with better tech and you just kind of went away. So they're uninvested. Yeah. And it got to this well, point that, where different these are different kind of tech companies. I don't know what what the network effects or something like that. Well, this is what people would say: why they deserve a higher multiple today, right? When you're a hardware company and you're basically GM and Ford, and someone can come in and displace you, that's one thing. When you're Microsoft with all these network effects, that like that business, at least the perception. I mean, maybe there's something wrong with the perception, but that business has survived based on its products a pretty abysmal management team and a pretty bad cycle and it's come out on the other side way way stronger and by the way there's three companies that are basically laying the infrastructure of the internet and if you like railroads and you think that those are going to be hard to displace then i don't see how you don't like aws azure and google cloud now we can argue till the cows come home well how do you know the terminal economics are going to be good i don't fucking know Right. But the, but the onus is sort of on the person making the argument to prove to me that a rational oligopoly or duopoly is something that they don't want to own when it's the backbone of the infrastructure or, or the Internet. Because to me, it feels like someone that missed a trend and just wants to convince themselves that they're still right. The, the only point that I was making sure. on the on the uh, on Microsoft, the reason I raised Microsoft was because and Microsoft has come again and Microsoft is is a new beast now because of AW, uh, not AWS. Missouri, yeah. as a, um, and it's and all of its office suite and so on. The 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 market just shifts in such a way that you can't necessarily see where your competitor is really coming from. I mean, would would Microsoft have said Google was their main competitor? Would they have said Amazon is their main competitor twenty years ago? Probably not. And yeah. He, and here we are. They're probably that's probably who their competitors are. So, you fast forward another twenty years. The lines of attack are oblique. Like you don't know where they're coming from. It's not what your cozy monopoly or duopoly may not matter if something else sort of supersedes. And who knows? Maybe it's VR. Hey, now we got VR. We don't need we don't need spreadsheets. We're free. You know, well, we've got AI and AI. You don't need a spreadsheet. You just explain the problem to AI, and it goes away and figures it out. Quantum computing. I don't know. I'm just sort of. I'm just, what I'm just saying is that it's harder than it looks in the rear vision mirror. Yeah, but I, I don't think that, like, it's different to say, it like, I don't think anybody's 
I mean, I mean, some people are saying it, but I don't think too many thoughtful people are saying like, oh, you just buy these things and never, ever watch anything in the business and you're going to be fine in perpetuity. Like, that's not the comment. Yes, you have to watch for shifts. But like I, buying Ford because it's a 5 PE at the top of a cycle is absolutely no safer than some of these other things. And like, I don't know, there's a lot of cheap businesses that go under all the time because they're subject to competition. And I do think that like, I don't know if, if you're looking at the results of a lot of tech companies and I'm, I'm not talking about the smaller ones because those do give me a little bit of a tough stomach to, but like the big ones, I mean, we just lived through a pandemic there was no travel ad advertising. Look at the results of Facebook and Google. Look at how quickly those businesses shifted and how they still made money. And if you don't think that's one of the most resilient businesses in history, then like I, we're having different conversations. Well, Facebook is cheap. So then you can say, well, today it is. What's going to happen in 20 years? I don't know. Neither do you. But what I'm saying is that that, that makes me want to pay, and I think this is what Jake was saying too, that makes me want to pay a slightly lower multiple for them rather than, you know, trying to like, trying to pick the, the absolute outer limit of what, you know, just saying you can spend just about anything on these things. Facebook might be a good example. They like were Facebook on is sale cheap. in March. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. It's, it, that. That was a so year I'm ago. Just saying like, what have you yeah. done for me lately? <laughs> that's, that's fair. I just, I mean, look, I don't know. I just think open up those results of big tech. It's the last year was absolutely crazy. And we're talking, we're slightly, slightly talking past each other here because Facebook and, you know, Microsoft and Google, I, I think they're expensive, but I don't think they're egregiously expensive. I think they're like, you could argue that they're within, you know, if, if you had, a, if I was confident that interest rates were going to remain where they are, where they are for an extended period of time, and I don't know where they're going to go. It just you'd be almost you almost you have to kind of own them around the sort of it. Amazon harder, but Amazon at some point I don't know where the fair value is, but at some point that's you know viable too. Well, it's sort Especially of kind of the since other rates stuff. Rates are going lower before well, they go higher. That's entirely possible too. I saw they're talking about the digital dollar and the the uh, the the significance of the digital dollar is that you can force through negative interest rates. You got nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, kind of makes me want to own some Bitcoin, bro. Well, look, I, 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 I kind of get why people are freaked out. I'm, I, uh, but I don't think inflation is nearly as uh, on the come as people think it is. But famous last words. Well, the market doesn't seems matter to, think so. to me. Cigarette companies will raise their prices. <laughs> the market. So let seems me show me an environment that uh, hasn't been true. Have you got some more, Chris? Got some more balloons? Oh, so another observation was uh, something I, I would call kind of the, the man behind the curtain index in a Wizard of Oz sort of way. Uh, and that's the Fed's assets divided by the debt plus market cap. So kind of EV, uh, like how much, how big are the assets that we're talking for the Fed versus like how much are they controlling, right? Through their shifting their weight around. And uh, so 1981, it was like 3%. 2000, 1.8%, 1.2%, 1 and now 2020, it's like 6.1%. So a, a pretty big, uh, compared to history, a pretty big movement. Although, is it is it surprising to anyone else that, that 2007 and 2000 were like half as much as what 1981 looked like? Mm. Yeah, really, half as much. That That is surprising. Yeah. Mm. 
So then the last thing I want to hit was, um, you know, Chris has this incredible understanding of Berkshire that he walks through, lays out all this nuance, um, you know, and he's owned it for 20 plus years and he's done really well on it, deservedly so. Now, I, I also, I know this guy who manages money and he bought Berkshire in the early 90s. And to be charitable, I would say that this guy doesn't seem to be the exact highest wattage bulb in the, in the to- you know, of all the bulbs available. No, no disrespect, but, but he has owned it Berkshire since the early 90s in a huge way. Like he just basically outsourced a bunch of his portfolio to Berkshire. Smart. And he's crushed it and he's gotten great returns. And it kind of, it, I, I was trying to think about is there any other game? Is there any other situation, any other environment where the person who does all the work and has crazy nuance gets the exact same result as the guy who is just like, I, I like this Buffett guy. I'm just going to go with that. Right. And those two have exact like they end up in the exact same place by riding the same train. I can't think of anything that that has that. Buffett's got a hundred grand a year on top of that. Don't forget that. Yeah. And so, well, so to push it even further. So like this guy, I'm being a little disparaging about. Right. But there's another guy who we all agree is very, very smart. And he did this exact same thing. But he pushed basically all of his net worth in on this guy. And his name's Charlie Munger. That's good. That's right? smart. Like he was managing a fund and he realized, oh my God, this guy's probably he's if he's not better than me at this, he's at least more motivated to get up and do it every single day than I am. Right. He's just a deal junkie. He can't get enough of it. I'm gonna let this guy do it for me, even though I could probably do it myself. Right. And and that turned him into a billionaire, right? And he got to just have a front row seat to watching his wealth turning into a, a billion, you know, he helped nudge along the way, obviously, but what a genius. And so here we have like geniuses and maybe not so much genius all ending up kind of in the same place. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know where that, where that leads me. Like, I don't know what the takeaway is, honestly, but I find it to be very fascinating. He did Buy a- good businesses with good managers yeah. and let them run. It? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, right? compounders <laughs> at the right price. So. Okay. I'm just saying. You got yeah. you got Lee Lu. He got Lee Lu too. I think Lee Lu's six or seven bag is the whatever he gave him, five hundred or a billion. So he did all right there too. Munger's smart. If I could be anyone, it'd be Munger. Yeah. Don't have to do the and work. Like that's and he drives around in a Bentley and like he's got this big ass community for he and his friends and he's always enjoyed his money. That guy's smart. You can't take it with you. It's a sucker's game to try to make the most. Can't argue with that. Should we uh, take Not some questions? Not to mention, think about real quick. Think about Buffett, right? And I love you, Buff Dog. But like, for listening. all he wanted to be probably was like the richest man in the world at one point. <laughs> and then what happens? Bezos comes up and just like, and then Elon Musk. Imagine how much it must grind Buffett's gears, like in private, oh, he's to have Elon a Musk second of sleep. I, oh, I think I would be very upset. You think somebody that takes that much pride in their craft doesn't get a little pissed off that Elon Musk just passed them? To give you on credit, uh, though, you, the only way you get there is you leave it all on the table and you let it ride for a yeah. really, really long period of time. And so, and you borrow against it to buy jets and mansions. Well, yeah, well, you let it fair ride. Fair enough. That's how you do it. 
I mean, I don't think there's much chance of him get. I, I don't know how much margin he's got against this stock, but I don't think there's much chance of him getting a getting a margin call Not against it. Not anymore. If it goes down to fair value, he might be in trouble. <laughs> got the S and P buyer dog. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, found the bigger bag holder. <laughs> hit us with the uh, hit us with some questions. We'll uh, we'll flail away at them. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> mumble quietly to ourselves. Oh, yeah. Is that is that if if uh, if Buffett held onto all of his stock, does he does he remain the richest? Anybody know the answer to that? Uh, I don't. I don't, I don't know how much he gave away. I got to think Bezos would be worth more. You got a question from the brew dog. Oh. Well, I do? Yeah, we all do, I guess. It's not you, Bill. You didn't put that in. With the cape ratio where it is, how much dry powder do you set aside before worrying about cash drag? That's not a Bill question. <laughs> the answer is none. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you want to use the cape for much, really, honestly. Uh, it's not particularly useful. It's just... <sighs> It's not useful for timing. No, it's not useful for timing. That's it. I, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. Um, I mean, you want to sit in cash right now? Okay. I think you want to have some. You always want to have some. This is just one one thing I've been, because I'm, I'm trying to work out, I want to I want to work out, uh, like, th I'm trying to just build a system that just buys and then just holds forever. So that's kind of what I'm, my, my little project at the moment. And so the, the, and I'm trying to find what you know. What are the factors that help you there, and, and am I kind of missing something in what I'm doing at the moment? And the answer is that um, I don't think that the factors are any different. The the sort of short answer is I don't think the factors are any different. One of the things that I find interesting is like, if you go back five years plus, around about a third of the companies get bought out. Like so, I'm like putting together thirty stock portfolios. Around about a third of the companies get bought out at some stage. You know, going back earlier than five years, it, it's pretty consistently about a third. So that's one way of getting cash recycled to you pretty consistently. So you do have to kind of, you know, if you're if you're getting a a third of your cash back over a period of five years, you need to have a way to redeploy outside of the the Neversell. So that's one argument for that's how you get some cash back through Neversell. Anyway, a little bit off the topic. You don't. Think I just think cash is hard with the printing. I mean, as much as I'm not all that worried about inflation, I I also don't hold much cash because I do think it's a real possibility. You don't you don't think that there are ping pong balls in the hopper right now that are like incredibly deflationary and that are like a debt driven crack up where your cash is going to be very valuable. I I don't think you're going to get the opportunity to have some meltdown. No, I think that the policy apparatus is going to do everything it can to stop it. And, you know, all you got to do is look back to March. Now, if you argue to me that the entire system is going to crack, then, okay, you can make that bet. And you'll probably be right once, and you'll probably be really rich at the end of it. So permanently high plateau is what I'm hearing you say? No, I don't know about a permanently high plateau. It can go lower, but I mean, like, okay. waiting for something to, I mean, I don't know how much lower, 75%? No, I'm not going to wait on that. 30%? No, I'm not going to wait on that. 20%? Maybe you could get a 20% correction, but when everything was down, people were waiting for it to be more down. So, I mean, I don't know. You either buy when it's down or you don't. Yeah. I still think and then the and one time it'll crash. There's nothing to buy with, though. 
Well, I mean, that's why I happen to like an 8% dividend yield off of a cigarette company. That's fair. Uh, do you guys have any, do you guys know anything about the incoming infrastructure package from Biden impact it'll have on inflation? Will we see wages increase? I don't know anything. As somebody that liked Ron Paul, the argument that I always liked about why he didn't like money being sort of given out is it tended to be historically from a top-down perspective. If you're actually distributing it to people, then at least the first people that touch it are the people that get to spend it first. That said, if you telegraph it, then prices may go up before the money comes out. So you may really do nothing. But I do think that if you give it directly to people and you create jobs and stuff like infrastructure, there is a reasonable possibility that uh, velocity does pick up eventually. And what has been holding back inflation, as far as I can understand it, is velocity. So if that increases there, you know, 2023, 2024, you know, I can see inflation. I don't think that citing today's prices is sufficient evidence for inflation i think that's more of a temporary supply shock than anything is that is that so lumber and copper and those sort of things you think that that's also a supply shock yeah i do I, th- I think a lot of this is the result of tariffs and covid coming together in a perfect storm and speculation because i think everybody's worried about inflation because everybody's worried about how much money the government's spending so i think it's like a confluence of factors I think that Jake said something like at this when last year, when like inflation is going to look like a gigantic supply shock with a whole lot of money printing over the top of it. I kind of was like, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Fuel products, more money. That that's that's sort of what inflation looks like, right? Everything goes up, denominated in the little bits of paper. That made sense. I don't know what happened exactly. Macro's hard. I mean, I guess it has in some places, right? This is the thing that's hard about inflation is it's it's very insidious and very difficult to tease out where the fault lines are and where what businesses are helped, what are hurt. Um, it's it's not obvious to me. And like this whole the narrative that equities will do well in inflation is I find it to be a little uh, unnuanced. When's uh, when's DJCO? Tomorrow. What time? I don't know. Ten, I think. Ten, 10 a.m. Pacific. 10 Pacific. Yeah. I would like to say one thing to the person that tunes in and downvotes us. No one cares what you think. <laughs> you, you just you just told him that you cared. No, was- I don't. I just I think that that they have too high of an opinion of themselves. In fact, I I hope that they go find another show that they enjoy because you know if we're not worth your time, then I don't care about you. It's all engagement. It's all good engagement. A downvote? I think it's I think it's very like self uh, congratulatory, as if you're the one person that matters. You're not. There's 30 people bigger than you. Next, do we have time for one more question? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find. Uh, I'm trying to find one. Uh... <laughs> so we got another one. <laughs> yes. All right. Somebody. Well, then that's fine. That's that's, that's just fair. social proof. Uh, sorry, I'm struggling for a good question here. I can't. I just can't see any. Um, not that there aren't questions. I can't see any questions. Not I can't see any good questions. All right. 
I got nothing. I don't know. Thank you to all the fans. Listen, for real, thank you to the people. I like all the upvotes. Oh, there's three downvotes. Anyway, thank you to all the fans. Uh, Oh, six, you bastards. (laughs) Seven. Getting demonetized again. Oh, boy, piling on. I did it. Uh, No, for real, thank you to all. It's been fun. It's been fun interacting. We appreciate the comments offline, so keep them coming. And uh, that's all I got. Oh, one. I guess one real quick. Then we can talk about. Uh, did you see Dan Loeb's trolling of uh, tech investors? No, yeah, what did he say? I, I missed it. Uh, he just posted a video of um, Biden talking about like how we're get, we can get through this together. I feel your pain. Uh, we will we'll mourn for the people who we lost. <laughs> it's pretty funny. The, did, it's Give it a watch. It's already over, isn't it? Like it's solar. It's solar yeah, this morning, think- and it. And it bounced. It's sold off, and now it's like probably all green already. I don't know. You got to wake up early to buy the dip if you're on the west coast. It's like the dips. The dips at like six thirty in the morning, right in the open. And they're only for like an hour. And it's it's bored hard for the rest of the day. But that's time. Thanks, amigas. We'll see you next week. Somebody will have a DJ Co. Uh, hot take for next week. I think. Don't it's trade options. Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. See you guys. Ciao. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 Sing one, one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause